This episode of The Clear Out was recorded on the 21st of December, the winter solstice, um, 2022, at home in Wicklow. And it is a chopped together Christmas episode with a few different component parts. And it was all recorded while I was struggling. The shortest day of the year, ironically, was the longest day of the year for me. Uh, I was clobbered by some dose. Not COVID, thankfully, but man, I was pushing a boulder uphill all through recording and trying to prepare the stuff for this episode. But I think something nice came through. So you have in store for you a new Christmas story that I just completed earlier today. You also have a very short but nice-ish <laughs> Christmas recital. And you have a little interview, a Christmas interview with my daughter Maeve. That's all That's all coming up. And it all kind of came from, it's all come from the heart. It's all come from a willingness to to just do it and get on with it and put something out there that feels a little bit Christmassy. So that's what I did, what we did. And it truly is a, a family production today. Um, <laughs> I'm amazed and quite pleased. It was, it was fun and also bloody hard work. <laughs> so that's it. That's what's coming up. I do hope you listen and enjoy and that it contributes something nice to your Christmas. Okay, I'll see you around the corner. Cheers. Ooh, not gonna change my mind. Leaving the dream behind. Hi, my name is Dara Clear and you're listening to The Clear Out. And yes, the one you've been waiting for, it is, it is the Christmas special. And... I am going to try and keep this intro very short um, because I am not, I'm not especially well and I have worked quite hard to pull this together um, over the last week and today, uh, up until, you know, just moments before, before publishing. So all I can say really is you've got um, a story to look forward to you've got some music to look forward to and really unexpected and i thought quite charming was a little interview with my with my daughter who expressed interest in coming on and having a chat and i thought she was just going to come on and say happy christmas but um no she wanted to um to just roll with it so we had a a little interview that came in at just under nine minutes and sort of blew my head off so that was nice. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I I really think that, that I, I'm going to leave it at that. Um, I was, I had planned on doing a bit of a, a wrap up of some nice Christmas moments, but I might leave that to next week um, when I've got a bit more time and can reflect a bit. I might try and do a review of the year. Um, yeah. So I think... Yeah, I think we'll just uh, we'll just get on with it. We um, we had a bit of fun today. My my wife and I recorded a few songs. Sadly, my cousin Fionn, who was on board last year, couldn't be here this time round, 
and it was just the two of us and I was really 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 hoping my wife would do a lot more singing because <laughs> she's uh, she's she's lovely in that department um, but she was being very respectful of me leading <laughs> which we, we made that, that that might have cost us something in um, in, uh, in in sonic in, <laughs> in sonic palatability but um, one thing I can tell you uh, we play four songs and one of those four songs is a Christmas song that my wife wrote last year and she she played it for the for our little recital and I think it's an absolutely lovely song and I just you know I was stum and let her just sing and play and I think it's really really nice so that's that's something you can definitely look forward to um, I can say that with confidence okay so do you know what I'm just going to go straight into it so here is the little interview with um with my daughter Maeve I uh I hope you enjoy it cheers now I'm very very happy to have another special guest on the the show today on the tell and that is none other none other than my daughter Maeve who has given me a set list of questions so I have to ask her about a couple of particular things. Yes. So I'll just start with a simple, a simple, how are you today, Maeve? Good. How's Christmas going so far? Very good. Are you excited about what's coming? Definitely. Okay. Now, you're one of these extraordinarily lucky children who seems to get presents like all year round. Yes. But you had a birthday in October. Yeah. And you got one of your favourite presents. Can you tell, tell us what that favourite present was? Squishmallow. Okay, so what kind of a squi- squishmallow? Squishmallow. 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 So what kind of what, what was your squishmallow like? It was like it was pretty big, and it, I think it was a cheetah. Okay, and uh, what did you call this this big cheetah? Cheesy puff. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Sorry, cheesy puff. Yes. Wow. So he's a he's kind of a crunchy. Tasty cheetah. No, he's not. He's just a cheetah called Cheesy Puff. And okay. That's cheese. Super duper. Okay, now, that was one of the questions you wanted me to ask you. Yes. You also wanted to talk about a little elf who moves around this room quite a bit. At night. At night. What's his name? Eamon. Eamon the elf. And what does Eamon do exactly? moves around at night and goes in different hiding places and you get to find him but I think he's basically just keeping an eye on you while Santa's getting ready and when you say you do you mean me or do you mean you you me yes I don't think Santa needs to keep an eye on me he doesn't have to send his little secret agents to check on me I'm a good, yes, I'm a good boy yes you're a naughty boy you're a naughty boy ok give me an example of how I'm naughty um, you're I, grumpy I'm grumpy and I use a bit of bad language every now and again. Uh, not every now and again, every second. Oh dear, that's... Uh, you're, 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 what, you're, you say beep in the car? Yeah, that's true, it's true. I've got a pretty loose tongue when it comes to bad language. It's not uh, not something I'm proud of. Or is it? Let me or just is it? say these words. So there's beep, and also beep, and beep, beep, and <laughs> also the very rudest one, beep. Oh, and you beeping beep. Yeah, that's probably, that's, that's probably a good one as well. Okay, uh, so that's Eamon. What's, what was Eamon's best observation spot this Christmas? Where do you think mm. was a good place he ended up? Probably being stuck down the back of the couch. 
Oh yeah, that was sneaky. Just his little head sti- sticking up. And also in the drawer, he was trying to get in, but when he saw you coming through the door, he got stuck in there. We could just see his butt sticking through the door. Yeah, that was that was charming. That was a charming greeting from Eamon the elf. A little festive, stripy butt in our faces yes. as he rooted around your drawers. Um, okay, cool, cool. So Eamon's got a, he's got a few more nights on duty. And then he'll he'll disappear once uh, yeah. Santa has been. He goes on the twenty fifth. Oh yeah, so he's not he's here not on twenty first. Yeah, I get it. Okay, well that's cool. So good old Eamon, he's done a good job. Okay. What's the dog doing? Oh, she's just like sticking her head through the stove. Oh, Pepper, please don't burn yourself. <laughs> please, we don't need to go to the burns unit before Christmas. Um. Okay. So let me see. Cheesy puff, Eamon the elf. Did you want to talk about your Santa list? Was it? Yes. Okay, so tell me what, what what's on your Santa list? What do we have to look forward to well, being brought to the house? Another squishmallow. Another squishmallow. Wonderful. Um, so a Sylvanian house because I've got too much and I don't have enough houses for them to live in. Okay, too many Sylvanians and not enough houses. Yes. Yeah, but look, there's a bit of a housing crisis in Ireland at the moment. A lot of people are struggling to have houses. So, um, yeah, your Sylvanians are not alone. Um, Sylvanians, um, uh, Squishmallow, what else? Couple of some wolf girl books okay so is that to train you into being a wolf girl no I just really like the story okay cool that's, that's by an Australian author is yeah, it Ando Ando He's, is he ooh, is he Vietnamese Cambodian know. I'm not sure he's a good guy Ando very, just for listeners who don't know is a very talented artist uh, he's also been a stand up comedian and then this is the next area he's gone into children's books and may have read a couple when she was in Australia recently and really enjoyed them is that right yeah Cool. Um, okay, and um, yeah, oh yeah, I, I asked for a Lego set. Oh, nice. I nice. don't really mind what type because Santa just gets me any type each year. Yeah, cool. Okay, so maybe a little cement mixer or something. That'd be good. We could both play with that. Um, I love construction uh, equipment. Uh, um, that's that, that's not actually true. Okay, <laughs> and oh, I know what you really really want to talk about, and that's. The new addition to the to the the pack here at hashtag blessed, um, and it's Pepper the dog. Tell me, just tell me this: if you can just go back a couple of weeks when you arrived home from Australia, what was your reaction when you saw Pe- Pepper the puppy emerging from the house? Well, when we were in the car and like just got into the driveway, I heard you say like you've been doing something. I thought you were just setting up a winter wonderland in the utility room. Oh yeah. Yeah, like a Christmas surprise. When you opened the door and Pepper came out, I thought we were just taking care of her. But <laughs> when you told us it's our new dog, I felt like I was going to cry. Uh, yeah, I think what you said is, I love you, puppy. Because she was licking you and jumping all over you and Mama. And she was such a happy little happy little animal, yeah. wasn't she? Yeah, I literally was crying. But oh, I don't my think goodness. you guys didn't know. Well, I mean, it was, let's, let's just say it was an emotional moment. Because oh, yeah. that's, <laughs> that's what love does. It makes us emotional. Oh, no, no, what's she doing now? She likes sleeping around. Okay, well, see if she wants... Come on, see if she wants to go out. Open the door for her and she can go out and have a, a little Christmas wee in the garden. Pepper, come on, enough. Help us out. We're trying to be professionals here. Yeah, out you go. Good girl. Thanks, Maeve. Okay, so come back here and let's wrap, wrap this up. Um, so... Yeah. <laughs> Do you have anything you'd like to say about the World Cup final? Mm-hmm. No, let's not go there. You were pretty upset that the, the French lost, weren't you? Yeah. That was a bad moment for you. And then we 
Okay, is that because of your cousins, is it? Because you've got French cousins? Yes. Yeah, okay. And whoever supports Argentina, please don't. Okay, that's, um, that's a very particular message of intolerance. And whoever supports France, I love you. Um, by the way, I was telling the guys at the bus stop this morning that Messi has a cousin called Tidy. No, it, no, no, it's true. And really? yeah, and Tidy has a brother, and Tidy's brother is called Neat. So when Messi's walking in the street in Argentina and he sees his cousins come along, he goes, "Hey, look, there's Neat and Tidy," and they're like, "Oh God, there's Messi. Oh, he's so messy. <laughs> they don't get along very well." Um, okay, that's a howling, oh. a howling dad joke. Stay with me now. We're gonna wrap this up. So, Maeve, do you have like a, a nice Christmas message for the people who are listening to the show? Merry Christmas. Is that it? Any nice wishes for 2023? What, what, what do you hope that, What do you hope happens in 2023? What would you like that next Ukraine year? Ukraine wins the war and a lot of Russian people go, die and go to jail. That is appalling. That is... I, I'm, yeah, we don't, listen, a lot of blood in can, can I just say, um, we don't really want anyone to die. I think it's better if people stay alive. But I, you know, I, I, I appreciate your, your candour, your honesty... Um, any other less bloody gruesome um, hope for next year? Hope you have a good Christmas and get whatever you want. Okay, hopefully a bit of peace in Ukraine, between Ukraine and Russia. That'll be, that'll be my hope. There has been a, enough, enough casualties. Okay, so Maeve, thank you so much for the visit. and This has been a lovely chat. Um, and I'm sure people will be happy to, happy to have heard from you. Okay, take it easy. I'll talk to you and later wait, on, okay? Yep, yep. Yeah, yeah. Next week we have to do another one. Another? Oh, really? You're going to come yeah. back for more? Yes, next okay. week. That's fine. We can we can do that. Okay. Okay, buddy. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. See ya. See you, dudes. So that was my daughter Maeve, who um, I had no idea she was going to going to be willing to stay on so long and share such frank opinions. Um, but fair play to her. That was. Um, as yeah again i um i salute her uh and so from from my daughter to to my wife next we have we have some festive tunes my my wife and i recorded early this morning some um rather shaky tunes to to lift your christmas spirits and perhaps a, I think one of them maybe doesn't pass muster, but in the spirit of everything I do on the podcast, I'm like, feck it, just put it out anyway. And uh, critics be damned. It, uh, it came it came from the heart. So without further ado, here is myself and Kiara with the, uh, the Christmas recital. <laughs> Enjoy, I hope. Okay, so this is the... Second annual Clear Out Christmas recital. The the return, if you will. And just like last year, we're not big fans of overproduction or or over preparation. We like to keep it fresh. Uh, so we're just gonna we're just gonna roll with this and see how we get 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 on. As as forewarned our numbers are down this year, so it's just myself and Kiara. Uh, one of the cats has been trying to break into the session, feeling she has something to offer, but um, she's been kicked out of the 
studio here at Hashtag Blessed. Okay, so we're going to we're going to start with a an old favourite. Let's do it. Joy! 
triumph of the skies with angelic hosts proclaim Christ is born in Bethlehem Hark the herald angels sing Glory to the newborn King Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace Hail the Son of Righteousness Light and life to all He brings Risen with healing in His wings Mild He lays His glory by Born that man no more may die Born to raise the sons of earth Born to give them second birth Hark the herald angels sing Glory to the newborn King Hark the herald angels sing Glory to the newborn King Peace on earth and mercy mild God and sinners reconciled Joyful all ye nations rise Join the triumph of the skies With angelic hosts proclaim Christ is born in Bethlehem Hark the herald angels sing Glory to the newborn King Glory to like that. That was nice. Alright, moving on. Now, I, uh, I think this is going rather well. <laughs> Excuse me. As he coughs himself to death. Uh, this next song isn't strictly a Christmas song, but I'm pretty confident you'll know it. And it's from a movie that we always looked forward to watching when we were kids. And it's also a song I sang to... Um, to Maeve, my daughter, when she was in, <laughs> when she before she came into the world, when she was in Kiara's belly, I used to sing to the belly when Kiara was pregnant with Maeve. So it has it has a bit of a special significance for us or for me. Um, I'm not sure for Maeve. <laughs> anyway, um, see if you like this, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, the chocolate room. Hold your breath, make a wish, count to three.
want to view paradise, simply look around and view it. Anything you want to do it, want to change the world, there's nothing to it. There is no life I Simply look around and view it Anything you want to do it Want to change the world There's nothing to it There is no life I know to come That is a tricky song. <laughs> we we embrace we embrace the uh, the pain the frailty of this recital. Um, however, now I'll step away and we're going to finish with a really lovely song that Chiara wrote last year. Um, if I have an obsession with. I spoke about this last week. If my obsession is to try and write a good Christmas story, um, Cara's definitely keen and like other musicians, producing a good Christmas song. And this one was sort of, uh, came on the back of the pandemic experience. And I think it's really nice. So I'm just going to shut up and let, uh, let Cara conclude our little festive tune fest with this song of hers which is called We Are Lost Without Christmas. Oh
Christmas, Kiara. <laughs> I think that's lovely. I think that's lovely. Um, that's such a lovely song. Anyway, that's good. I'm glad we like it. <laughs> <coughs> Excuse me. That's um. See, that's the difference between listening to a real singer and my fog horning. Um, but that's okay. That's okay. It's 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 the spirit. It's the it's the intention. <laughs> so um, that's it. I hope you I hope you enjoyed our our little offering and have a lovely Christmas. Stay safe, mind yourselves and I'll I'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Thanks guys. Bye. Merry Christmas. Uh forgive the rather abrupt end to the to the to the bells there. Um but that's just that's just how things were rolling. Um, okay, I I do hope I do hope you enjoyed that. Um, so we've gone from interview to to music, and now for something a bit I don't want to say a bit different in the Monty Python style, but now for something a bit calmer. I um, I'm about to present the new story I've just written. Um, yeah, here it is. Now it's story time. Yay! <laughs> I um I think I spoke about this last week in last week's episode. I said I wasn't sure if I'd get a new story of mine finished in time for this week's episode. But I did. Uh I've been working on it for the last week really and I finished it earlier today. It may, it, it, I, my process, I sort of let the story lead me and I didn't know what way this story was going to, to work out. And originally it had a different title and the genesis of it really was, I had an image of a man being stopped as he walked into a shop, being stopped by a blind man in a wheelchair with a cat on his lap and the the wheelchair character was in some way very charismatic and persuasive and was going to try and lead the other character out of crisis or into an awakening so that's all I had that's all I had and I thought it had something to do with someone being so desperate that they were willing to give themselves over to the power of another's personality, even if it went against their their instincts. So sort of a, a fatalistic surrender to the influence of another. And of course, I'm trying to make it a Christmas story. And so there has to be <laughs> there has to be sort of Christmassy elements, a Christmassy journey. And if you listened to me talk about this last year when I spoke about my favourite Christmas movies, my, my, um, my conviction is that the best Christmas movies and perhaps the best Christmas stories only work when something real is at stake. Um, so, for example, I watched Elf recently uh, last week with my daughter and 
you know, Will Ferrell is very funny and that's grand. But like overall, it's, you know, it, it, it's sort of Christmas by numbers. And I don't think it's helped by Zooey Deschanel's very flat delivery of her lines. I think James Caan is very good. Mary Steenburgen is very good. Ed Asner is good. Um, and Bob Newhart, wasn't it? So some of, these, some of these people are no longer with us. I mean, I just named three acting legends from the big screen and from TV, and they're gone. They are gone. Um, Elf is really average. It's a, it's a Christmas favourite. People love it, but it's, yeah, it, 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 it's thin. It's weak. Now, <laughs> I say that um, as I'm about to read live my own story that um, I have been working on. Uh, it's not easy. It's not easy to write a good story, any good story. It's not easy to write a good Christmas story. So I hope you get something out of this. I hope you enjoy it. Um, I, I was trying to make some decisions with the characters. I'm not sure if this will ultimately be the end product of this story, but it's probably pretty close. Um, yeah, and I'm recording it live. I, I normally would pre-record this and then drop it into the, the, the track for the podcast, but I am on the clock. And as I as I whined about in the, the prologue, uh, I'm dying. I'm really unwell today. I came down with some vicious dose um, and jinxed myself because yesterday I was on a Zoom to my, my mate Daniel, my friend Daniel, who works on the, the podcast with me. Uh, hola Daniel, que tal? And Feliz Navidad. Uh, Daniel is a great, great guy and he's been a great, great supporter of the podcast and I'm truly, truly grateful for his ongoing work. Anyway, poor old Daniel is just on the other side of COVID and I just thought that was a good opportunity to tell him how healthy I was feeling. And sure enough, within hours of finishing that Zoom, I was kind of overtaken by this vicious, knifey, chesty cough and went to bed feeling wogeous. Um, and the one, the one little bright light on feeling like that was I decided before I went to bed to give myself a little soluble vitamin C, one of those fizzy ones that come in the tubes. And I reached up to our little medicine tub and found the tube. It felt very light. I thought, okay, cool. There's one left. And I poured my little half glass of water, opened up the lid. And I was like, hold on, there's, there's nothing in here. But there was something inside. I thought it might have been one of those silica gel packages. But it was a piece of paper. And as I emptied it out onto the, 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 the kitchen bench, I read a few words in my, my daughter's handwriting. Those words were, Ha ha, no more left. And I just had to take my hat off to her. I laughed. I thought, fair play to you. That is a great great gag i was so surprised it was brilliant um and then i pulled the same trick on her this morning <laughs> with her own her own weapon and she um she was indignant and then went very kind of cash and like i'm not bothered by this and I was like, oh thanks for the water father anyway there you go so that's the uh that's the backdrop to this and this story uh it may be interrupted by animal sounds i was sleeping Sleeping dog, sleeping older cat, sleeping younger cat, sleeping guinea pigs. They don't stay asleep, though, and it's late-ish at night. I've got the whirring uh, mechanics of the the lovely 
Irish phone box decoration that I was talking about a couple of episodes ago. And there's also the stove. The stove is blazing because I can't quite get cold. I can't get warm enough. I feel icy in my bones. Um, but Dr. Theatre will save me. <laughs> okay, so this year's uh, Christmas story from myself is called The Finding of Gabriel's Heart. Are you the one with the Eskimo wife? His face didn't betray his irritation. Finnish. Sorry? She's Finnish from Finland. His eyes tried to communicate to to leave it alone, to, to leave it at that. They tried to communicate that he really wasn't interested in extending that line of inquiry. Marvin said she was an Eskimo, said she was beautiful. He raised an eyebrow slightly, but otherwise maintained his gaze. Marvin should know better. He knows my wife, and he knows she isn't an Eskimo. So what is she then? Finnish. No, no. Marvin said she's a native. You know, ethnic. He sighed. Aren't we all, you know, ethnic? His questioner was nonplussed. What? Aren't you ethnically Irish? Am and I? Come on, you know what I mean. He knew, but he didn't want to give him the satisfaction. With his big, leery head and his power collar, and his obnoxious aftershave to go with his obnoxious personality. She's from Finland. What can I tell you? He paused. Do you want to buy the paintings or not? A huge, satisfied grin broke out on the face of the man opposite him. It gave him a sick feeling in the pit of his gut. Uh, Marvin said you were touchy. His name was Richard, and the restaurant he was co-owner of was having a moment. He drank from his glass wine that was so deep and dark and red, it may as well have been blood. He casually turned his attention to the paintings, his fat fingers assessing what he had no feel for, handling them like slabs of meat. He made a performance out of his disregard for the work as if he knew the difference between good and bad. These are good, no doubt. They have um, artistry in them. They're quite classy. He took another drink and continued before his glass was back on the table. But I don't think they're us. He'd done this dance before and knew there was no point in trying to negotiate or persuade the client of the merit of his work. He stood up to leave. Thanks for your time. He put the paintings back in their holder and made to leave. Richard held up a hand. Hold on, hold on. Don't don't go rushing off. It's Christmas. So let me throw you a bone. Leave the paintings here. And I'll make sure Neil sees them. Even if he shares my opinion. He's well connected. He could get them up somewhere else maybe. 
Maybe take a little commission? Who knows what could happen? He knew he had no other options, but he stood there as if he was mulling things over with real deliberation. Richard smirked at him, seeing through his charade. You know it's a good offer. If you're smart, you'll take it. And one other thing. Alarm bells started screaming in his head. Walk away. Walk away. Walk now. Yeah. I can see you need the money. Marvin told me things are pretty tight at home. He drank his blood again. I have 500 cash for you right now. Your Eskimo wife. Marvin said there were nudes. The next thing he realised, he was being manhandled through the restaurant and shoved out onto the street. His eyes were wild and he was shouting at whoever had just escorted him off the premises. His paintings were still inside. He couldn't decide whether to go back to have another swipe at Richard or to find Marvin and kill him. Marvin's pep talk rang in his ears. Oh, they're minted, absolutely minted. But make sure you talk to Neil, not Richard. Neil is a straight shooter, but Richard likes to play games and he likes to throw his weight around. He'll, he'll try and get a rise out of you. And make sure you ask for a proper price. Don't sell down, sell up. He couldn't believe Marvin had told them about his paintings of Girsta. Or maybe he could. He probably thought he was helping them. It didn't matter. He still wanted to kill him. He'd just blown his one shot at saving Christmas. He had planned on selling up. He was going to ask for five grand, five hundred apiece. They were good. He knew they were good. He had a gift. Of that, he was sure. At least, he used to be. His grandmother had held him in the air as a five-year-old and proclaimed it so. His mother had told him her mother was never wrong about these things. Or had she said rarely? He knew he had felt sure of it in the past. There's only so long you can trade on potential. And he knew for a fact that once a certain age was reached, or the appearance of a certain age... Potential was no longer potential. It was failure. The question that could be seen in people's eyes was clear as day. Unfulfilled or never had it in the first place? He had reached that age and appearance longer ago than he cared to remember. He has something, this one. He has something special. I don't know what it is but it will reveal itself in time mark me it's there those were his grandmother's words at the time of her death nine years later she still hadn't seen whatever made him so special although it had been some time since she'd seen anything having been legally blind for the last two decades of her life he and his sister had referred to her as Blind Nana to distinguish her from their other grandmother who was simply Nan. If she could see him now, he thought, what would she make of him? 
late 40s, three children, a wife from the northern tip of Scandinavia, barely two coins to rub together, and Christmas a day away. Sell up. His paintings were of street scenes from different parts of the city, where the landmarks were easily recognisable. But in each one, the sky and buildings loomed in a disproportionately dominant way, and the figures in the paintings reflected a sense of oppression, of being overwhelmed. Gersta said people wouldn't like them. She thought they would stress people up. Stress people out, he corrected her. But he persevered. There was something real in them. Deep down, he knew it was his own anguish he was depicting. His own fear. Getting that angry distracted him from his predicament. As he calmed down, the dread hollowed out his stomach again. He'd turned down work. Paid work. He was so sure he'd shift the paintings. He hadn't told Girsta. He knew exactly what was owing, what bills were coming, what expenses they had put off, what was in arrears, even money that was due back to a couple of friends who had quietly bailed him out. To people who had it, five grand wasn't a lot. But to them, it would have made a massive difference. Got them back to scratch and allowed them a nice Christmas where they weren't scrimping and scrawning. It would have been a reprieve and a most welcome one. So now, as he walked off his indignation, he also tried to ignore the feeling that a loose thread was about to be unravelled that would allow every passing stranger see the depths of his failure. He needed a drink to steal himself before going home to face Girsta. The fact that she wouldn't give him a hard time made it worse. She had an unstinting ability to breathe into a crisis and an even greater ability to forgive in him what wasn't present in her. Most of the time he loved her for it. But there were times he wanted her to be as messy and compromised as he was. He knew his account was empty. He also knew he had enough cash on him for two drinks and a lottery ticket. And the reason he knew is because that was his contingency plan. He knew before going to the restaurant that things might not go the way he hoped. The little money he had was too small an amount to make a difference to anything, so he may as well blow it on booze and a gamble rather than insult his family with their poverty of options. There was a masochism to this selfishness and a desperate self-pity too. Catching a glimpse of himself in the reflection of a festive shop window had him cast in red light. His eyes looked dark. Demonic, he thought. I'm going to hell. But first, a drink. He turned the corner to go to the nearest bar he knew. As he got closer, he could see an argument playing out between a large bouncer and a man in a wheelchair. The doorman was apologising and appeared to be doing his best to appease the affronted party, which was the man in the wheelchair, who between insults was screaming words like outrage and disgrace. He also assured the doorman that he would be hearing from his solicitor. He was now close enough to see that the wheelchair man was wearing a green Santa suit with a matching hat.
he also wore sunglasses. And if that didn't make a striking enough impression, sitting on his lap was a scruffy-looking tabby cat with an eye patch. The bouncer now looked at him and rolled his eyes. The wheelchair man was on it like a flash. He turned his sunglasses to him and asked indignantly, Did this Yahoo just roll his eyes at me? Did he have the audacity to roll his gorilla eyes at me? Imagine the sheer idiocy of someone rolling their eyes at a blind man. Who else but a muscled-up doorman would be capable of such depthless stupidity? Before he could reply, the wheelchair man reached out and grabbed his forearm. Will you explain to this mogadon the futility of facial gestures directed at a person without sight? I suggest you use small words, maybe even illustrations. Otherwise your missile may land some way short of its mark. Go ahead, man, speak. I nominate you as my seeing-eye representative. He turned to the bouncer. Uh, um, he can't see, so there's no point in making faces. The wheelchair man beamed triumphantly. Well said, sir. The bouncer wasn't impressed. Both of us can feck off. We're suddenly full. The cat in the wheelchair man's lap hissed as they spun away from the doorway and proceeded along the path. His owner held aloft a middle finger as his own parting gesture. Backing away from the bouncer's glare, he chased after the bizarre couple. The wheelchair was motorised and moved along at speed, its occupant calling out intermittently to warn of their approach. As he caught up to them, he was astounded to see the cat tap his paw on the wheelchair man's leg when they had to come to a stop. The cat's right eye was the one with the patch, and so it turned its head to that side to bring the left eye to the centre of its field of vision. When the way was clear again, the cat tapped once more, and on they went. He called after them. Wait, could I speak to you for a moment? The wheelchair stopped. I, sir, am in urgent need of libation, and I do not mean cranberry juice. If a word is what you want, I insist it is had over a beverage of my choosing. If you can lead the way to a favourable tavern, we shall advance post-haste. He didn't hesitate to reply. I know just the place. He turned from the bar with two whiskies and sought out his new companions. The cat, off duty it seemed, had curled up for a nap. The wheelchair man extended his right hand, to which he presented one of the drinks. The hand was sharply withdrawn. The hand was to receive yours. I will receive my whisky in my left hand. Let's try again. The hand was proffered once more. Theresius O'Connell, occasionally given the sobriquet TikTok because of my initials. You may call me Terry if you wish. I'm Gabriel Quinn, he said, shaking his hand. 
A pleasure, sir. The one-eyed wonder keeping my crotch warm is Cyclops. I know, we're a sight, and we have only one good eye between us. As for the classical names, mine I can attribute to academic parents. Classics, scholars, no less. And his? Well, what else do you call a one-eyed cat? And now the whiskey, Gabriel, thank you. They cheersed. To fallen comrades and conquered lovers. Having no more money to buy a second round, he was relieved to see the larger-than-life character sip his whiskey slowly. So, Mr. Gabriel Quinn, what was this word you wanted to have with me? How did you know the bouncer rolled his eyes at you? Good man, straight to the point. Ah, yes, you were of invaluable service back there. How? A lot of instinct, a little bit of luck. I felt the energy change. I read people and situations quickly, and I indulge a certain impulsivity. I am unafraid to apologise if I am wrong. But, like honest politicians, that is a rare occurrence. Are you... are you fully blind? I, I only ask because one of my grandmothers was legally blind for the last part of her life. She could still tell between light and dark and make out colours and shapes. Hardly what you would call blind, Gabriel. No, sir. No such luck for me. I... I am in perpetual darkness. Theresius O'Connell removed his sunglasses gently to reveal two sunken and scarred eye sockets. Oh, I see. And I do not, Gabriel, he replied, replacing the glasses. And poor old Cyclops is lucky to have what he does. Some blackguards would have finished the job had I not rescued him from their cruelty. We too are veterans of different but no less vicious conflicts. I will not bore you with war stories, however. Tell me, Gabriel, what war do you now find yourself in? Because I can tell you are embattled. You have spirit, Mr. Quinn, but it is at a low ebb tonight. How goes this Christmas in your trench? He looked at the man with no eyes. He looked at his half-blind cat. He looked at his wheelchair and his green Santa suit. He looked at the remains of his whiskey, and he thought, Why not? Well, Terry, he said, it's going shit. He laid it all out, sparing no detail, and the sole member of his audience listened intently throughout. When he finished... Theresius downed the last of his own whiskey, cleared his throat, and turned his sightless eyes towards him. Two things. One, if your wife is not an Eskimo, can you confirm that she is in fact one of the Sami people of sub-Arctic Finland? I can. She is. Ha! I will inquire further about your wife, the mysterious Gersta, in due course. But to our second order of business, 
we need to purchase a lottery ticket. The question is, on which purveyor of the game of chance should we roll your final die? He shrugged. One place is as good as another, I suppose. Theresius clapped his hands in delight. A fatalistic approach. I can work with that, Gabriel. I can work with that. He tapped the cat awake. Cyclops, arise. We're on the move. The cat stirred itself and assumed its position at the prow of their vessel. He held the door for them as they exited into the cold night air. They weren't long finding the little news agents that had what they wanted. He went to walk in when, for the second time that night, Theresius stopped him by grabbing his forearm. Gabriel, you may believe this is a nothing moment. No more significant than a scratch of one's nose or the telling of the hour of the day. But I assure you, it is of far more importance than that. This is a moment of the gravest severity. And you are not to sidestep its potential impact by casualizing it. You must own your strategy, for it is your chosen response to circumstances beyond your control. This is how battles are lost and won. Terry, I, I don't think I can handle this intensity. It's stressing me out. Good God, Mr. Quinn. Are you a man or a child? Seek not the shadows to cozy up to your shame. You need light to illuminate your soul's preferred course of action. If this is to be your action, own it. Do not shilly-shally like a blushing schoolgirl. Do not waver like it is your first time in a cat house. Attack, man! Attack! With that, he pulled him closer and spoke quietly. We must wait. We are attempting to purchase a winning ticket. Timing is key. Tell me, how many people are at the till? Looking in the doorway, he saw five customers in line. Describe them, quickly. He looked again. Um, a, a young mother first, she's got a buggy. Two teenage boys behind her, coming from football training or something. An older man, cardigan, a, a grandfather type. A guy in his twenties, with a broken nose. Yes, him. Jump in front of the broken nose. You don't want him to get your ticket. If he has a problem with that, send him out to me. Reluctantly, he entered the shop and walked straight over to the queue. He stood beside the broken nose guy and stared ahead at the till. As the queue moved, he moved with it, walking beside the broken nose guy. The broken nose guy looked at him and he could feel him getting annoyed. He could feel his own heart rate rising and trickles of sweat started running down his sides. Finally, they both reached the till. Before the broken nose guy could say anything, he asked for a lottery ticket. Ooh, cutting it fine, said the shop worker. Yeah, yeah, I know, he laughed. He knew the broken nose guy had moved closer and was now standing so close behind him he could feel his breath on the back of his neck. He didn't dare turn round. He handed over the last of his cash and said thank you when he was given the ticket. As he walked quickly back to Terry and Cyclops, he could hear behind him the broken nose guy roaring in disgust at the shop worker for not serving him first. 
He yelled at him that he had sold his ticket to someone else, who he referred to as that ponce, and threatened to come back and burn the place to the ground if he didn't win. They didn't wait to see how things got resolved, but chose instead to move on to their next destination. Oh, I was sure he was going to deck me. I did not share your conviction, came the reply. My instincts are almost never wrong, Mr. Quinn. And now you have in your possession what is known as a sure thing. We must adjourn to a watering hole where you can see your numbers being revealed. Terry, I have no more money. If I miss the last bus, I'll be walking home tonight. Well, I owe you at least one whiskey. Cyclops, check the stores. The piratical cat jumped off the lap of Theresius and stuck his head under the flap of a satchel that hung at the side of the wheelchair. He re-emerged and meowed cheerfully before returning to his previous post. According to my first lieutenant, we're in luck. Gabriel, I will not be importuned if you would care to rummage in my satchel. That is not a euphemism. And procure one of the drinking vessels therein. Doing as he was told, he saw in the satchel four hip flasks lined up like soldiers. Which should I choose? The pewter is Scottish, the silver Irish, the brass is cognac, and the leather is Japanese. I think the occasion calls for something from the Orient, don't you? Grab the leather and we'll find somewhere to suit our needs. They came across a little pedestrianised street that was lit up beautifully with Christmas lights and outdoor heaters. It was colourful and cheery and groups of people stood drinking and eating and making merry. A trio of musicians played jazzy Christmas songs with arrangements that allowed them to sing intricate harmonies. As they wove through the revellers, they drew amused looks and festive greetings. A couple of people commented on the green Santa suit, to which Theresius replied that he was blind, so how could he have known? They stopped outside a pub, where there was a clear view of a large TV screen. The bouncing balls of the lottery were selecting themselves and being called out by a beaming presenter. He looked at his new friends. All right, lads. This is it. Remember this feeling, Mr. Quinn, for your world is about to change forever. He looked at his ticket to review his numbers and then back up at the screen where the winning balls were displayed like shining stars. It took only seconds for him to realise his ticket was a dud. The balls kept coming. He didn't have a single number. He kept staring through the window. He didn't think he was in shock, but he felt very unwell. He was dizzy, as if he'd been struck on the back of the head. You gave me hope, he said. You made me believe I was going to win. I, I, I believed you. I actually believed you. Oh, Christ, I am an idiot. For taking gambling advice from a blind man who allows 
a half-blind cat to dictate how he drives? Yes, probably. You told me to get that ticket. You told me to jump the queue. I was trying to raise the stakes. I didn't feel you were invested. Anyway, it's done now. Here, have some of this. He took the leather-bound hip flask that was being offered and drank. He took it with no intention of enjoying it. It was just something to do with his body and brain while he bought time. Theresius interrupted his thoughts. Gabriel, there is no buying time. There is only what happens and what does not. Come on, I'm sure I can smell hot chocolate. Whiskey is not the answer to our current dilemma. Sure enough, there was a vendor selling large, star-patterned mugs of hot chocolate slathered in cream and chocolate flakes. He watched Theresius ordering two mugs from the vendor, who chatted to him as if they'd known each other for years. He refused to take payment for them. They sat down beside a brazier that blazed brightly in front of the large Christmas tree that dominated the street. The musicians sat on the other side of it, playing their version of O Holy Night. A question for you, Mr Quinn. Do you really believe money is the thing? What what, what do you mean? I mean exactly what I said. Do you believe in the deepest corner of your heart that money is the thing? He frowned. Well, we can't live without it, can we? Who is this we you speak for? Speak for yourself, Gabriel. You don't know what lies in the hearts of others. If it is what you believe, say, money is the thing. I don't know if it's the thing. It kind of is, isn't it? I need money. I need more of it. I'm not providing for my family. I can't buy my wife new things. We're always worried about it. And tell me, Gabriel, how is your pursuit of money working out? Not well. And these paintings you were willing to leave in the restaurant, are they a means to making money? Yes, in theory. But you chose to leave them behind. You also chose not to accept the offer of 500 euros. Why? He insulted my wife. Did he actually? Well, maybe it was more an insult to me. He tried to put her on the table as a bargaining chip. He cheapened her. Do you still plan on killing Martin? Marvin. Yes. No, I don't know. He's such a dope. His heart is in the right place, but he, he doesn't see how cynical the world is. He doesn't see the angles. The right place, you said. His heart. Where is that? <sighs> Wherever love is generated. He's all about the love. I don't know how he does it. Cyclops suddenly turned and put his front paws on his master's chest. He meowed so loudly that several people noticed and laughed. Theresius looked down at him and listened very carefully. He nodded in agreement. Yes, Cyclops, most certainly. Cyclops tells me we're running out of time. 
places to go. Such a busy time of year. Before we part company, I need to hear more about Gersta. She is the key to unlocking this puzzle. Tell me a story about her. A story? Well, what kind of story? Tell me something that is unique to her. Something that made you fall in love with her, if you believe in such things. Um, I, I don't know. Something festive, perhaps? Oh, yeah, yeah, I have one. So, yeah, she's Sammy. They're all over the northern parts of Scandinavia and in Russia too. But she grew up in a small town in a region called Inari, way up at the top of Finland, inside the Arctic Circle. It's Lapland, basically. Anyway, when she was younger, her grandmother still liked to honour the old ways. And at this time of year, she would set herself up in a big tent called a kota, a kind of sami teepee. And she would provide shelter and refreshments for some of the other sami herding reindeer. She was a bit mad, according to Gersta, and she didn't mind that some younger children thought she was a witch. She used to play up to it. Anyway, Gersta would always try to go and visit her when she was in this kota because she got on with her really well, and the whole thing was so out there that she found it fascinating. This one time, when she was 18, she was making her way through the snowy woods that would lead to her grandmother when she came across a figure in the middle of the woods. It was a man, a big man, and he was pulling a huge canopy over a load of parcels that sat on a massive sleigh. And yes, a team of reindeer stood at the front of this sleigh. He wore a burgundy-coloured snowsuit with white furry trim all around. And when he turned to face her, she was overwhelmed by the impression he made. She swore he was nine foot tall. He had a white curly beard and a face that at first glance seemed old, but then seemed not to have an age on it at all. He reached out to her and shook her hand, and then he got her to help him tie off the canopy. He hugged her and wished her a happy Christmas, and then he moved through the woods as if they weren't even there. She said there wasn't enough room to move a sleigh even a third of the size of the one she had just helped secure. But he was gone before she had dropped her waving hand. She said she felt elated, transformed, and she rushed between the trees to tell her grandmother. Her grandmother's eyes widened ever so slightly as she listened, but then, at the end, she sucked on her pipe thoughtfully, before turning to Gersta and saying, Santa Claus, children's stories. But Gersta knew she had believed her. She was 18, not 8. She has never forgotten it. She's convinced she's going to meet him again one day. She tells that story to our children every year and they absolutely love it. Theresius grinned from ear to ear. That is a Christmas story, my boy. Splendid. Your wife is a treasure. Please, call her for me. 
I want to wish her a happy Christmas. Cyclops meowed in protest. We have time, Cyclops. I'll be quick. Go on, Gabriel. Ring her. He laughed to himself as he called his wife. He handed the phone to Theresius. Hello, is this Gusta? He somehow wasn't surprised when Theresius then proceeded to have an exchange in fluent Sami that involved lots of laughter and very animated reactions. The call ended and the phone was given back. Theresius looked at him and asked in a very grave voice, Is your wife a serious woman? Excuse me? Do you believe her, Gabriel? Do you believe her truth? He felt the cat looking at him too. He was starting to sweat again. Theresius extended his right hand. Take it, Mr. Quinn, and feel my question in your heart. Do you believe in your wife? Do you believe in Gersta? Do you see what she brings to your world? He clasped the hand in his own and felt himself become very emotional. His eyes burned with tears so that he was unable to see. His breath wouldn't come as he reckoned with the depth of feeling he had for his wife and children. He thought he was going to collapse. He let go of the hand and crumpled like a slowly deflating balloon. The sounds around him receded until all was silent. He could still hear Theresius questioning him. He wanted it to end, but Theresius kept coming back with the same questions. Is money the thing, Mr. Quinn? Gabriel, do you believe your wife? Do you believe Gersta? What is the thing, Mr. Quinn? Why did you leave your paintings behind? Gabriel? Gabriel? He tried to speak, but couldn't. But his mind was startlingly clear. Of course he believed her. And love was the thing. Love! That was where they would live. And that's what he would put in his work. And if it wasn't here, they'd go and live in a tent in Lapland. He came to and realised he was being helped to his feet by the musicians. He heard Theresia say, Your phone is ringing, Gabriel. It's a call you should take. Cyclops meowed loudly. He looked at his phone. It was Marvin. He answered. Marvin was speaking quickly. Gabe, don't say a thing. I'm handing the phone to someone else. He heard Marvin reassuring whoever he was talking to, and then a voice he didn't know came on the phone. Am I talking to the guy who nearly took Richard's head off? You are? Oh my god, that is priceless. I am so sorry I missed that. Fair play to you. Uh, Richard rubs people up the wrong way, but his heart is in the right place. Listen, I'm Richard's business partner, Neil, and I think your paintings are perfect 
for another place we're looking at. Richard said you were asking five grand for them. Hello? He put his hand over the phone as he looked for Theresius. Um, yeah, uh, five grand, 500 apiece. I, I think that's fair. More than fair. I'm not going to lie to you. Your paintings moved me. Unlike Richard, I've had my share of tough times, so I know where you're coming from. Text me your bank details and I'll transfer you six right now as a gesture of good faith and to apologise for Richard. Don't expect to get one from him. That shirt you ruined cost 500 euros. You're sending me 600? No, six grand. I want to use more of your work. But maybe something more, I don't know, um, from the countryside? Marvin says your wife is Finnish. Do you have anything from her part of the world? I can start working on something right now. No, no, enjoy your Christmas first. I love your work, Gabriel. You have a gift. I'm giving you back to Marvin. Send me those details. No sign of Theresius anywhere. Gabe? Marvin? How... How did you pull that off? I've had such a crazy night. It's all good, man. It's all love. Your work did the talking. I've got to go. I'll call you tomorrow. He put his phone back in his pocket and looked all around the street for Theresius and Cyclops. There was no trace of them. He was still in a daze and was reliving the conversation he just had when he spotted the wheelchair parked up at the entrance to the pedestrian zone. He rushed over to it. Sitting on the seat was the hip flask satchel. Again, he looked in vain for his new friends. He opened up the satchel and found it empty apart from three things. A tiny eye patch, a pair of sunglasses and a little card. He opened the card to read a simple message. Happy Christmas, Gabriel. Follow your heart. Love, Theresius O'Connell. And in brackets underneath, TikTok and Cyclops. He got his phone out, dialed home, and started talking frantically as soon as it was answered. Gerste, I'm coming home right now. You will not believe the night I've had. Yes, he was real, or maybe not, I don't know. Gerste, I sold the paintings. Gerste, I love you. He walked and talked and walked and talked. And the closer he got to home, the closer he got to his heart. So there you go. That was the, the Christmas story I wrote for this Christmas um, I hope you liked it I um, it was a very tricky story I just, I just didn't know where it was going to go it kind of revealed itself to me it was a bit of a wrestle and um, yeah it's um, it's not really for me to say how successful it was or wasn't feel free to um, <laughs> feel free to comment on social media or up close and personal if you see me and you've, you've listened Grateful, grateful for any any um, engaged response. 
so so listen that's it i'm gonna leave it there i'm gonna leave it there it's a bit um good effort that's a good effort that episode in all its ups and downs in all its permutations and um like i said at some point along the way it all came from the heart um because in 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 hashtag blessed we're we're big fans of this time of year and we like to go for it so that is it until next week i really do hope you enjoyed what you heard today um i also hope you have a lovely lovely christmas stay safe stay well enjoy be with the people you want to be with and um yeah just just relax that's what this this festival is really meant to be isn't it is this midwinter festival is meant to be okay we've made it we've made it we're about to cross over um into the slow ascent to spring brighter days eventually but you've made it this far and that's that's really isn't that really the history of the the celebration um to just give ourselves a bit of a pat on the back for for our resilience for pulling together for having sufficient to survive and share with others um okay so there you go boom i am going to take myself off to bed (laughs) and try and be well in time for the big day take it easy thanks as always for listening do mind yourselves and have a great great christmas all the best see you bye